Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teachers, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer and do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you with whatever you spend. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Man, you guys can be seated. Thank you, Mr. Hamby. Well, thank you guys. Apologies for the tech problems and thanks to the uh, quick action and thinking of the folks back in the tech booth. Uh, appreciate you guys. Happy to have a handheld today. So, <clears throat> y'all, I said this a couple of weeks ago when I was here, it's kind of difficult, you know, just to step right in and talk about money. Um, and yet here we are. And so from the day I got here, I've been thinking, okay, what, what do you say about money to folks that you don't really know and they probably don't know you or have any reason to trust you or, or buy anything into what you might be saying? And so I, I was thinking about, okay, why do we give anyway? And so I really just spent some time asking, why, why do we give? And I thought I would share that this morning, but as I was reading, and this was reading just for my own, you know, edification, which pastors don't get to do very often, or maybe we don't take the time to do very often. I wasn't planning for a sermon. I was just reading, and I was reading through Matthew, and I recognized a lot of times when Jesus is talking about money, he's not talking about why you should give. Jesus talks a lot about why you shouldn't give. And so I thought maybe today I would talk about a few reasons why you should not give first, 
And then maybe we'll give a, a break in the middle and let everyone stand up and stretch. And then if you're angry enough at that point to leave, you can sneak out the back. And then the rest of us will stick around for why you should give, right? And these are going to be things that you're familiar with and that you're not, you know, unaccustomed to or anything like that. But it, I've never heard it put that way and I had never thought about it in this way before. So a few reasons why you should not give. The first is recognition. You guys remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus said, when you give, don't give like the hypocrites who love to stand on the street corners and make sure everyone knows what they're giving, right? And they put brass plaques on everything that they've given so that everyone knows for the rest of eternity, right? Instead, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is giving, right? Sometimes people give for recognition. Sometimes that's the motivation for giving. And to be completely clear, and man, I hope I'm not stepping on toes. I probably should have asked some people if this has happened here before or not. But it's a great way to raise money, right? You want to pave a path? You sell the bricks, right? Everyone gets to write their family name on a brick or whatever. You need something in the church? You sell, you know, whatever, the chairs or the pews or the, or the whatever, and then you get to put those names on them. And, and those are great ways to support a church in the beginning, but those often become things that end up holding the church back. And just as an example, look at any church, if you go down a county road in any direction, you'll see a little church somewhere with a cemetery out back. And, and that's a real beautiful thing. And there was a season and a time when they were selling funeral plots to help support the ministry of the church, and it was meaningful, wonderful ministry. And I would challenge you to find a church today that is really, really growing at a strong clip that, that has one of those cemeteries out back because what happens is the costs continue to be incurred, only now there's no more plots to sell, right? And, and beyond that, maybe not a cemetery plot, maybe it's something else. Those things become things that we can never touch again, right? Because Uncle So-and-so gave that whatever it was, right? And we can never move it. You know, the painting of Jesus that's in the hallway or wherever that, you know, in the fellowship hall or something that can never be moved because it was donated a hundred years ago by someone. And it's blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. You know the one I'm talking about? It, those things, when we give for recognition's sake, those things often become things that hold the church back in later generations. Another reason not to give is for influence. And I, I'm thinking specifically about the story of the widow's mite. This is from the Gospel of Luke. And you remember that Jesus said, everyone else here is giving out of their abundance. And as I read that, I thought it's implied here they're giving as a means to influence, you know, to have decisions to have the priests and the whoever else was in charge to come to them for, for questioning and, and to get their opinion heard. Where this widow, no one considered any influence for her because she was only giving such a small, insignificant amount, right? Just the two little copper coins is what the modern translations say. She had no influence at all. A lot of times people, especially those who, you know, 
can give enough to get a building named after them at a university or something like that, we'll give in those ways. But even, let's say, the rest of us, and I don't know any of your financial situations, but I'm going to say the rest of us as though we're all in the same boat here. Sometimes that happens in churches by means of withholding tithe and offerings. And I have heard and I know one-on-one -on -one stories where people have used that in order to influence an outcome of a, of a church vote or decision or something like that. And you guys know how this goes. If you do this, then I will withhold my tithe. I have never ever heard someone say, and because I'm withholding my tithe and I made a vow to this church, I will also withhold my vote on whatever the thing is that might be coming up that I'm not happy about. I hope I'm not stepping on toes. Again, I don't know any of your personal situations. I promise this is not a personal attack. I'm only saying sometimes that's what we do, right? And it's, let me, let me forgive us for just a minute. It's human nature to do that, right? I joined this church because of X, Y, Z. I thought they were going in this direction. Now they're going a different direction. I don't want to be a part anymore, and I get that. Or I still love the people and I want to be here, but I don't feel like I can support it financially. I understand all of those things. I'm only saying when we give in order to have influence, that's a dangerous thing. And let me just say, as your pastor, this is absolutely me as your pastor speaking. I'm one who believes that one day we all get to stand before Jesus, right? And Far be it for me to not tell you, please don't put yourself in that situation where you have to answer for that. I mean, I don't, again, don't know anybody that has given or not given or anything here, but it would be, it would be remiss of me if I didn't say, guys, don't put yourself in that situation. So, don't give for recognition, don't give for influence, and the last one is actually the one that I read, and, and it, it just struck my attention. It comes from Matthew 23. It's don't give for substitution. Yeah, don't give as a substitute for, Jesus says, the more important things of mercy, justice, and faithfulness. This is in Matthew 23, and it's in the, the chapter where he's saying, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the the leaders of the law, woe to, you know, all of those woes. It's a pretty tough section to read. But one of the things that he says is, woe to y'all, you tithe, you give your 10%, but you neglect the more important things of mercy, justice, and faithfulness. So first of all, let's just point out, Jesus believes that there are some laws that are more important than others. We'll talk about that another day. That's a whole sermon unto itself, maybe even a whole book Jesus thinks that there are some laws that are more important than others, and tithing is somewhere down the list below justice, mercy, and faithfulness. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how there's a natural progression that happens in every church that I've ever been a part of, and I think this is a healthy thing. Young people, people in their 20s with little kids running around, things like that, tend to be broke but have a lot more energy and so in healthy churches often you see young people young adults volunteering and giving a lot more time energy they're the ones doing the lock-ins with the kids right they're the ones going on weekend retreats with the youth group they're the ones doing vacation bible school anybody you get where i'm going 
As we get older, and I think I can say we here, I'm just two years away from 50. As we get older, two things happen. We start to get a little bit more money, which is a great thing, but we also start to get tired a little sooner, right? Ask me the last time I did a lock-in with a youth group. Oh, I love some youth groups. I am not doing a lock-in, I can promise you. And so there's this healthy thing that happens where often the, those, if, and I'm, again, I have not looked at this list, and I'm not going to for a little while, although I believe it's a healthy thing that the church does this, but often the folks that give the most to the church are a little bit older, right? And have done well and have been blessed in life. And they have the capacity to give financially a little bit more. Now, the other day I was in Keenagers, and I'm going to call Mike out, and I haven't spoken to him about this yet, and he might even be in this room. But Mike said something in Keenagers that I really appreciated. He said he was, he was imploring the crowd to, to not give up on actually doing the work of the church, of justice and, justice, excuse me, and mercy and faithfulness. Don't just be the one that writes the check. He was saying, be there. And he said, he said almost everyone in Scripture that I've read that God used to do something important was relatively old. And I really appreciated him saying that because, yep, Moses was 80 when he led the Israelites out of Egypt. Abraham was 100 when he had Isaac. There's lots of examples like that. But I almost stood up and wanted to push back and say, yeah, but David was a teenager when he defeated Goliath. Mary was a teenager when she gave birth to Jesus. And Timothy was a teenager when Paul said, don't let people look down on you because of your age. The point is this. All of us are called to the ministries of justice and mercy and faithfulness. But that text goes on. This is where you wish Jesus would just stop right there, but he didn't. This is, again, Matthew 23. Go look it up. Jesus keeps going, and he says, you know what you should do? Both. Right? Some of us wish that he would just say, you know, we're just going to do the, the ministries of justice and mercy and faithfulness and, and not worry about tithing. Others love Jesus saying that we should tithe, and let's not worry about those other things. And Jesus says, you should do both. So reasons not to give are recognition, influence, or as a substitute for ministry. Now let me get into some reasons why we should give. And there are lots more than I'm going to share today. I just want to give a real basic framework. And this is where I'm going to come to our scripture. The Good Samaritan. The teacher of the law asked Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus threw it right back in his face, right? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Great. That's it. You are right. Do that. I believe that when we learn to be generous givers, we grow in our love for God. We learn how to love God more. And I'm going to talk about this a lot in my time here because this to me is like really starting to get at the core of why we're here, right? And so I love looking for things that might be triggers or catalysts that point out where we have room to grow in that area, where we are not quite loving God with our whole heart, strength, and mind. And there's a couple of ways that came to mind with regards to giving. And that is to look at your knee-jerk reactions. I'll give you an example. If you're one that snaps at your kids, pay attention to that. Ask yourself why. Did I not get enough sleep last night? Is there something else that's bothering me? Am I upset about, am I afraid about something? If you're one of those people, 
that really gets high blood pressure when you're in the left lane and someone is doing 55 miles an hour on the interstate? Anybody? So when those kinds of things happen is when you start to slow down and ask yourself, what is it about this situation that I'm not fully sanctified in just yet? You know what I mean? That's the way John Wesley would say it. Where is it that I still have room to grow? And here's a couple of ways where I see this with regards to money. If your knee-jerk reaction is to hoard things up and to hold things close and to circle the wagons and to hold your family in tight and to save, 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 to pinch every penny, then there may be an underlying fear of security or insecurity as it would be. Or you may be one of those people who splurges when you shouldn't splurge, you know what I mean? One of those people that in order to feel better, I need to go buy new shoes. I need to go out to a nice restaurant. I need to buy a new car or phone or whatever it is. And that may be a fear of missing out. That may be an underlying fear that there's something in life that I'm not getting full access to, right? And I don't want to miss out on those things. Both of those two fears can be cured by learning generosity. Not cured, maybe that's too much. The Holy Spirit can work with us when we learn generosity. If I'm someone who has a little bit of fear of insecurity and I tend to hold things tight, learning to let that go just a little bit and hold things with an open palm is a way that I think God can break through and help us learn how to love him a little bit more. Or if I'm someone who spends a little too much because I'm always afraid I'm going to miss out on something, again, learning to give some of that away so that other people don't miss out on things is a way I believe that God can work with us to help us grow to be people who indeed love him with our whole heart, strength, and mind. The next one, also from our scripture today, is to love, learn how to love our neighbor better. And here's the problem with that, and I'm not doing a great job breaking this scripture down, partially because I know y'all have heard it a thousand times, and partially because I'm sure I'll preach on it again really, really soon. The problem with the church is it's full of Samaritans. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, in this room, there are people who voted for different presidential candidates than you. Probably. There are people who pulled for a different team than you yesterday. There are people that you have to put up with. Sometimes you don't even like. But here's the thing about being a church. When you, when you, become, when you decide you're going to join a church, you commit to being a part of a group that you don't get to choose who's in and who's out, right? Which teaches us how to love our neighbor, how to genuinely love people without just creating a bubble where everyone in it is the same. And sometimes churches do that, y'all. Sometimes churches become so isolated, whatever the next big hot topic is that we're going to argue about in politics or in church or whatever, we're going to draw the line, and then we're going to say everyone in our church is on this side of the line, and everyone who's on the other side of the line you're going to have to find another place to go. But what the church is supposed to be at our best is when there is no line. And when we can say, you know what? There are, there are good things about 
this person that someone may have voted for. There are good things about this person that someone may have voted for. I can understand why my friend in the pew right next to me may disagree on something so very, very important to me because I'm still going to love them. So when we learn to give, we grow, I think, in our ability to love God, and we grow, I think, in our ability to love our neighbor. And then the last one is this. When we give, we learn how to model the kingdom. Almost every Sunday, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And sometimes churches do a good job modeling that in the community, and sometimes they don't. So let me tell you a story. Two weeks ago, in my second week here, Miss Hayes, who is the principal at Thompson Intermediate School, called Reed and asked Reed and I to come to the school so that she could talk to us because she wanted to create a program for teachers who might just need a pastor to talk to, right? And we went and sat down in her office, and she invited us to be at the school every Wednesday and, and going to give us a room on the side somewhere where teachers could come and speak to a pastor if they need to come and speak to a pastor. Let me say a few things about this. First of all, that is an open door that I will never not walk through, okay? If the school asks for anything, y'all need to know something about me, I'm going to say yes. If any of the schools in Alabaster ask for anything, I'm going to say yes, and then we're going to figure out how to make it happen. Now, asking for two of us to give all day every Wednesday to the school is a big ask. And so Reed and I are working out how to figure that out. And this past Wednesday was the very first Wednesday that he did it. And he only had a few people who wanted to come and speak to him. So we're going to work out some, some ways for us to be a little more efficient. But I want you guys to know that that kind of relationship with a school takes years to build before a principal would ask a church that because churches let's be honest i think abuse that privilege more often than not oftentimes churches when they get to go to schools are not really there to help the schools they're there to help themselves and let's just say that and so i want to pump reed's tires just a little bit since he's not in here he's not back there is he good Reed has been building those relationships in the schools in this community for years. And that is, I can't tell y'all how valuable that is. It would have taken me years to build a relationship with the schools to get that kind of invitation that we got in my second week. And so when you guys see Reed, don't tell him I said it, but just pat him on the back and tell him good job. Now let me tell you how that story ended. So this past Wednesday, Reed was at the school, and around 11 o'clock or so, I had a break. I texted him and said, it's probably lunchtime, right? I think, I think I'll head up there. Can you introduce me to some teachers and things like that? And so I went up, and I signed in, and I saw Reed in the hallway. Before, we, before I got to the lunchroom, he was in the hallway, and he was just milling around, talking to teachers, things like that. And he told me, you know, there, I know pretty well everybody here except one and she's the new assistant principal, and I just haven't had time to meet her yet. You know, it's only October. School just started a couple of months ago. I'm like, okay, cool. So we make our way to the lunchroom, 
And you guys know lunchroom with fourth and fifth graders, right? It's like purgatory. It's, it's not where anybody wants to be if they have the opportunity to not be there. And the minute I walk in, I see an old friend of mine that I've known since my days at Calera, going all the way back to 2004. Her husband and I were good friends. We're about the same age. Her name is Kelly Carley. We walk in and I see Kelly. She's like, what are you doing in my school? And I'm like, what are you doing in my school? And we hug and we talk and we're like catching up and it's absolutely a God kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? And we walk away and Reed says, that was the one teacher that I did not know. I'm telling you guys, you cannot outgive God. When you give away all the dentine that someone gave to you in your Christmas, I mean, in your birthday card, God is going to turn around and show up in ways that you would never have ever expected. And I cannot wait to see all the ways that God does this here in this church, guys. It's going to happen, I promise. Don't know how, don't know when, don't know where, but I believe it's going to happen. And so I want us to give, and I want you guys to give for the right reasons, and I want us to not give for the wrong reasons. Not because we need the money to pay the bills, although that's always a thing, but because I want us to grow into the church that loves God, that loves our neighbor, and that is genuinely making a difference in this community so that when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we mean it. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this moment. We thank you for ways that you show up and that you have been pushing the, the dials around and you have been moving the pieces on the chessboard without us knowing. And sometimes we, we still don't know and may, may never know. We thank you that we can't outgive you. We thank you that, that often when we try, you show up in ways that um, we would have never expected. So, God, we want to be people who love you. We want to be people who love our neighbor. We want to be people who love those in this church that we might consider Samaritans. We want to, we want to be people who genuinely make an impact on this community. We want the schools to ask, what would we do if Alabaster First United Methodist Church wasn't here? And not just the schools, the police department, the fire department, the city council, all, every, like, we want to make a difference in this community, God. And so I ask that you start that here right now in our own hearts and that that grows into something much, much bigger than we could ever imagine. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said.